if someone were to be putting together a horror movie, they may want to take cues from some of the first pieces of information that we receive in this week's Parsha. The beginning of this week's Parsha is scary. Yaakov, who has gone through so much in his life, he was always in conflict with his brother Esav. He had the whole incident where he bought the Bechorah from Esav. Esav didn't really like that. Yaakov then took the bracha from Esav. Esav definitely did not like that. He wanted to kill Yaakov. Definitely not getting better at this point. Yaakov is then forced to flee. He flees to Haran where he is with, he finds the love of his life, doesn't quite get to marry her right away, has to go through this whole lengthy process, ends up with four wives, a crazy father-in-law, and ends up having to leave from his home as well. And when he is leaving from Lavan's home with his entire family, that is when it really gets bad. He hears that along his route is going to be his brother Esau, not coming with flowers and welcome home balloons, but coming with 400 men, definitely not as the welcoming committee. So Yaakov is very nervous, and rightfully so. Yaakov prepares in many ways. He davens Hashem, he sends gifts, he prepares his camp, he splits up his family, and this is where it really gets, starts to get scary. He has to, to strategically think about how he is going to position his family so that he loses the least members of his family. He doesn't want to risk losing his entire family at once. Therefore, he divides them up so that some have a chance of survival. He does not have high hopes for this encounter. And then here comes the horror scene. Yaakov is in this camp. He is ready to take on Esau. And then he realizes he forgot something. So he turns behind and he goes back and crosses over the river. Now picture this scene before we delve into the Psukim. It's dark. It's cloudy. They're camping outside. So Yaakov is achy and everything is just has a chill in the air. And Yaakov goes back across Nachal Yabok. So if we're in Barisha's Paraklam and Bet, Pasuk Chaf Bet, Vayakam Valayla Hahuvi, Kachat Shtein Ashav, Vet Shteishev Chutav, Vet Achar Asar Yuladav, Vayavor at Mavar Yabok. Yaakov has taken his two wives and his two shvachot, so four wives, total 11 children, and he has crossed over Mavar Yabok. They passed themselves over. They brought over all of their belongings. Yaakov is left alone. And we all know, in these kind of scary scenes, don't find yourself alone. <coughs> he is attacked by this man who he will come to figure out is a Malach Hashem, is a... Um, is an angel, and they fight until daybreak. Vayar the Malach realizes that he will not be successful in defeating Yaakov. he harms him in his hip socket. and he injures him there. So this is scary. He's been attacked in the night. He's by himself. He is in this conflict with this strange being, and now he is injured. 
He says, let me go because the morning has, go- has come. The Malach says, let me go, the morning has come. And Yaakov says, I will not let you go until you give me a bracha. He says, what is your name? And he says, my name is Yaakov. You should not say any longer that your name is Yaakov. Rather, your name is now going to be Yisrael. Because you have fought with God and with man and you have been successful. Now, what is your name? Why should you ask me my name? And he blessed him there. So as in any sketchy story like this, the guy won't give his name. It's unclear who he was. Just one additional factor that adds to the spookiness of this story. But Yaakov realizes that this was not a regular man who he had just fought with. Rather, Yaakov names this place Peniel. He realizes that this was a godly being, a spiritual force of some sort. And he says, I came into direct contact with Hashem and my soul was saved. And the sun began to shine. When the sun shines, it becomes apparent that Yaakov now has a limp. Until today, we do not eat the Gidhanasha, the sciatic nerve. This is a nerve that is along the top of the um, hip socket, and we don't eat it until today. Because Yaakov was harmed in his Gidhanasha, in the sciatic nerve. So coming out of this story, there is so much that happens there. Who is this being that Yaakov is fighting with? Why is there all this reference to the sun? And the sun came and it was dark and then it was light. But one conversation that I want to focus on within this episode is the subject of names. That Yaakov receives a new name in this story. And in the following parak, we are going to see a juxtaposition with a different name, which is going to call our attention to names. So as we saw, the Malach renames Yaakov and says, your name is no longer Yaakov, it is now Yisrael, ki sarita im because you have fought with God and you were successful. In Barashas Lamed Hay, a few prakim later, Hashem reaffirms this name change. Name changes by God are not something that we are unfamiliar with at this point. Avraham got a new name. Um, Sarai got a new name. Throughout Tanakh, we will see Hashem giving people slightly different names. But in this, in this case, Yaakov receives the new name from the Malach, and then Hashem reaffirms it a few prakim later. Your name, Yaakov, you should not be called anymore. Rather, you should be called Yisrael. And he named him Yisrael. So this name is going to stick. Hashem says, Yaakov, 
your name is no longer Yaakov, it is now Yisrael. And we know that until today, that is the name that is carried on for generations, that we are B'nai Yisrael, we are not the B'nai Yaakov. We carry on this name that was given to Yaakov by the Malach. However, in Barish Islam Vav, we begin to see a repetition of a different name that is going to seem a little strange in this context. Barish Islam Vav, Parak Aleph. Ve'ela toldot Esav hu Edom. These are the children of Esav. Esav is Edom. Then again in Pasuk Chet and Pasuk Tet of the same parak, Vayeshav Esav behar Seir, Esav hu Edom. Again, just a few psukim later, Esav hu Edom. And then in Pasuk Tet, Ve'ela toldot Esav avi Edom behar Seir. These are the children of Esav Avi Edom, the father of Edom. Again, Esav Hu Edom. And then lastly, in Pasuk Yotet, just a few seconds later, Ela B'nai Esav Ve'ela Alufehem Hu Edom. Esav Hu Edom. It is, re- it is repeated four times within one parak, immediately following this parak of the reaffirmation of Yaakov's new name. So my question is, why this emphasis here on the name of Esau. Esau is no longer the subject that we're talking about. We had this final encounter between Yaakov and Esau. And not only is Esau being brought up, but each time we are getting the same clarification and the same detail about Esau. Esau, who Edom. Esau, who Edom. Over and over again. So what I want to look at today is what do we learn from these two names? The name Yaakov and the fact that Yaakov becomes Yisrael. And that juxtaposition with this overemphasis on Esav who Edom. Esav is Edom. So let's begin with where did these names come from? They were named right at birth. In Barashas Parakhaf Hey, we first meet Esav. Vayitzei Harishon Admoni, the first came out and he was read. Kulo ka'aderet se'ar, doesn't he sound beautiful? He is completely red and covered in hair. Vayikru Shemo Esav, and they called him Esav. Rashi comments there, Vayikru Shemo Esav, they named him Esav. Hakol karu lo everyone called him this. Lefisha hayana asev v'nigmar b'sa'aro keven shanim harbei. Because he was like an Adam asoy. His name Esav comes from the word Asoy, that he was completely made. He was finished. He came out looking like a mature person, not like a newborn baby. He was covered in hair. He was red. He looked much more mature and grown up and complete than he actually was. This is connected to the name Edom, which makes sense why we have this Esav who Edom. Where does the name Edom come from? Edom is the name of the nation that comes out of Esav, as we see here. And until today, we refer to the Gullus, the exile that we are in, as Gullus Edom, because we believe that now we are in the jurisdiction of the descendants of Esav. Where does this Edom come from? Back when Yaakov is cooking and Esav comes home, and in the episode of Yaakov buying the Bechorah, Esav comes home and he says, Give me from this red stuff. The Mepharshim say that from there we get this name Edom. That Esav came home and he said, Give me that Adom Adom Hazeth. His nation was called Edom to give 
hint to the idea that was encapsulated within this name Edom, which was fully cooked, finished, processed, done. Similar to the idea of him being named Esav, that Esav is about being a soy, already complete, already done, a finished product, and that is the same thing as Edom, that Edom was fully processed, fully cooked, done, finished. That is why when it, when it says again and again, Esav hu Edom, it is emphasizing to us strongly that we are talking about the same Mida that is encapsulated within these names. That Esav hu Edom, they are the same idea. This is all one and the same. That Esav was a complete person, not in the way that we talked about with Tamim, that it is a level of perfection, rather that he is complete. There is nowhere to grow. There is no greater that he can be. He was born mature. We think of birth of the, as the time of the greatest potential because this is when the person is least that they will ever be. From there, they will always grow. However, Esau was different. He came out already matured, already grown, with nowhere to go. In contrast, we next learn about Yaakov. And after this, his brother came out. His hand was holding on to the heel of Esav. Yitzchak was 60 years old when he had these twins. And it says, one came out, he was Admoni, he was covered in hair. And the second one came holding on to the heel of his brother. And therefore he was named Yaakov alluding to the fact that he was holding on to the heel. This is going to give us insight into the nature of Yaakov as well. That throughout Yaakov's life, from the very first moment of life, he was this straggler. He was somewhat behind in terms of, he was always struggling. He didn't come out ahead throughout his life, as we definitely saw until this point. His life is a constant struggle. He had to come out holding on to the lowest part of Esau, gripping on to come out. And then from then on, his life is one struggle after the next. Over and over again, Yaakov struggles. Starts from his first minute of life and it only continues and grows. I see we have one question in the chat. So the question was, is it more that Esau doesn't want to grow? So we are going to explore that a little bit. That's going to come, going to come, going to come, come. So Yaakov from his very first moment is named with regards to this struggle, as opposed to Esau, who is named the opposite in, ter- in reference to him being already fully made, complete. And the question that was asked in the chat is maybe it's just that Esau doesn't want to grow, not that he doesn't have anything to grow in. And I would say that that is a hundred percent the point that it's not like Esau was born an adult. There was plenty of growth opportunity, but as we are going to see, Esau is very much of this mindset that it is about being complete. It is not about growing along the way. It's not that he has a growth filled mindset. He would rather be at the final product. Yaakov, on the other hand, is identified by this struggle, is identified by the fact that he is always a little behind and having to fight to get ahead. 
So then Yaakov receives this new name in this ultimate struggle that all through his life he has had these conflicts. But this is the true moment of conflict. This is the moment of struggle where he is physically fighting with a Malach Hashem. He is struggling with the force that represents Esav. And this is going to be the pinnacle of the conflict in his life. So now Yaakov receives a new name at this moment. And he is named Yisrael, based on the fact that the Malach says, Ki sarita im elokim ve'im anashim, because you have struggled with God and with man. That is what the name is based on, though that is not the end of the Pasuk. The end of the Pasuk is Vatuchal, and you were successful. But this is an idea based on um, a drasha given by Rabbi Dr. Norman Lamb. And Rabbi Lamb says that this is the point. This is not only the difference in names between Yaakov and Esau, rather this is a deep distinction between the Jewish people that descended from Yaakov and the nations of the world, the nations of Edom. He says, when Yaakov is renamed by the Malach, his new name is Yisrael Kisarita Im Elohim, because you fought with Hashem. We didn't include the Vatuchal, and you were successful. Because Rabbi Lamb says the message that is being given over, the insight that we are meant to get into Yaakov's personality, is that what is important is the struggle. It's that Esau approached life as one who was complete. He didn't see a need to struggle, and he therefore didn't grow. By not recognizing the inherent value in the struggle, in the process to achieve something, you are missing out on the potential that that situation holds. Yaakov, on the other hand, when this Malach renames him, he says, what is going to be important to you, what is going to exemplify you, is kisarita emelokim, because you struggled. Yes, vatuchal, yes, you were successful, but that is not what's important. What is important is that you struggled. And this is a mindset that was imbued in Yaakov from the very beginning, it was solidified with this bracha from the Malach, and it is going to carry him on from there. That this process of the struggle is one that was so important to Yaakov Avinu and carries on with us throughout Jewish history. That if we viewed our goal as a Jewish people to achieve the final goal, to get to the end, to be perfect, to have reached that ultimate whether it be our ultimate selves, our ultimate relationship with Hashem, and we only looked at the final product as the, as the symbol of success, we would fail. Because throughout Jewish history, we have struggled and we have fought and we have, and we have failed many times. But we have embraced that struggle and we recognize that it is through embracing that struggle that we are able to grow. This is a theme throughout Judaism, that we believe in tshuva. We believe in working on ourselves and trying to develop in this process, that we live in the process and not in the final destination. This is an idea that comes up. As we've touched on briefly here, we talked about the fact that this being was a malach Hashem. But there's actually an interesting debate that complements what we have been discussing, this midah of embracing the struggle, of being able to recognize the inherent value in the path to your goal and not just the final destination. In Sefer Zechariah, 
it talks about what will happen if we keep Hashem's ways. If you keep my ways and you, if you keep my mitzvot and you go on my ways, you guard my house, you keep my laws. I will give those that walk place within those that stand. What does that mean? The mehalchem is a reference to human beings, and the omdim is a reference to malachim. That malachim are seen as beings that are spiritual beings. They are high, lofty beings, but they are omdim. They are stagnant. They do not move. They do not grow. Rather, the mehalchem are the human beings. Human beings are referenced as mehalchem because human beings are always moving and are always on this process and are always growing as a result. So when Zechariah says, I will then allow the mahalchim to walk among the umdim, this is him saying that I, through this process of constantly moving and going and growing, these human beings can reach the spirituality of the malachim of the umdim. But this brings us to question, which is better? Do we really believe that human beings are better because they are mahalchim? But how could we say that human beings are better or closer to Hashem if the malachim are so spiritual, they are so close to God. So this calls upon this entire debate that is discussed extensively within the Jewish literature of who is closer to God, the malachim or the human beings. The Gemara Masachat Sanhedrin says, it, the Gemara Masachat Sanhedrin records a conversation between Moshe, Hashem, and the Malachim. This conversation happens during Matan Torah, after the few utterances that Hashem said that were just too much for Am Yisrael, that it either caused them to pass out or they briefly died and had to be revived. After those few utterances, Moshe goes up to Har Sinai and this conversation occurs. When Moshe came up to Har Sinai, the Malachim turned to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and they said, Why would you allow a human-born person to come and be among us? Why is he here? He came to receive the Torah. They said in front of him, this Torah that has been hidden away for hundreds of generations prior to Briyat HaOlam, you are going to give that to Basar Vedam, to a human being? Who is a human being? He's not going to remember you, Hashem. He's, they're not going to be able to handle this gift. Hashem, your true glory is up here in Shamayim. Why would you give this over to human beings? said to Moshe, no, Moshe, answer them. Why should I give you the Torah? I'm afraid I'm not going to speak in front of these malachim. Who knows what they can do to me? They're going to burn me up with their words. Hashem says, don't worry. Hold on to my kisei akavu. That will be the protection you need. And give them an answer.
Hashem protected Moshe so that Moshe could properly answer them. Amar Lefanov, he said to them, Ribuna Shololam, Torah Shatanotimi Maktivba. Torah says, Moshe says to Hashem, This Torah that you're giving me, what does it say within it? Anochi Hashem Alokecha, Asher Hotzi Sicha Me'eretz Mitzrayim. I am Hashem your God, who took you out of Egypt. Amar Lahan, Moshe turns to Malachim, he says, Limitzrayim, you're out of time? Did you go down to Egypt? Liparo hishtabadatem? Were you servants to Paro? Torah lama tehelachem. Why should you get the Torah? He says, you don't even understand the most basic statement in the Torah. You didn't even experience that. Shuv, Moshe goes again. And at this point, Moshe is going to go on a number of times pointing out similar situations. Maktivba. You should not have other gods. Moshe turns to the angels and says, Do you live among the other nations that serve Avodazara? Shuv, Maktivba, Moshe says again, what does it say in there? Zechor at Yom HaShabbos Lakacho, you should keep Shabbos. Kolom atemosim malacha, do you do malacha? Shatem tzrichim shvus, that you have to rest from it? Shuv, Moshe says again, Maktivba, it says lotisa. Maso matan yishvachem, do you do business? Shuv, Maktivba, kavira savicha v'yasimecha. Av ve'im yishlachem, do you have a mother and father? Shuv, Maktiv, Lotertzach, Lotinach, Lotignov, Kinayishbahem, do you get jealous? Yitzer Hara Yishbinechem, do you even have a Yitzer Hara? Miyan Hudulah Kadishbarahu, immediately Hashem thinks him, Shana Emar, Hashem Adoninu Maadir Shimcha, the Ilutnahutcha al Hashemayim Loktiv. It was clear and apparent that the place that this Torah belongs is down below al kol ha'aretz, that Hashem is going to rule over the entire land, and that Hashem's true glory is not only in Shamayim. What is the point that Moshe is telling us? It's along this same line of what we learn from Yaakov Avinu. That from Yaakov Avinu, our ancestor, we were imbued with this quality, this midah, of recognizing the inherent importance in the struggle the importance in the path to accomplishing our goals. And Moshe Rabbeinu is pointing this out to the malachim. And this is the basis for this debate about which is better, malachim or human beings. And and Moshe is saying it's not one's better. It's that as human beings, we recognize that it is because of the challenges that that we have, we have the capability to be even greater. The Rambam and the Ibn Ezra both say, Angels are better, quote-unquote, because they were created spiritual. They were created at their ideal. But Rav Sadia Gaon makes this point that we said based on Moshe. That Rav Sadia Gaon maintains that human beings are on a higher level even than Malachim because we have free will. And therefore, we have the ability to choose and in turn to grow from our struggles and to grow from our choices. That Moshe Rabinu is saying, Yitzar Hara Yishacham, do you even have a Yitzar Hara? If you don't have this inclination to do anything other than what the Torah tells you, then the growth potential that you have in embracing Torah is so much less. That it is only because of the struggles that we face in this world that we are able to truly appreciate and truly gain from the Torah. 
Without this struggle, we would not be able to grow and achieve our greatest capabilities. The Sefer Me Hashilach in Lilikute Hashas, it is a Sefer Chasidos that is specifically in this area talking about Likute Hashas, commentaries on the Gemara. It is a conversation revolving around consuming salt. That the Meishilach, we're just going to do this one outside, just because anyone without the updated sheet does not have it on there. But the Meishilach talks about when you eat something salty, instead of it um, filling your hunger, you become more hungry. Because when you eat things that are salty, you want more and more to fulfill that, that craving that you now have for, for more salt. The Meishilach says that the same is true with Torah learning. That one may think that if the goal is to just know Torah, that if you have a desire to learn Torah, you fill it up with some Torah, you'll now be done. But Hashem teaches us that this is not what it is meant to be. It is like someone who is hungry and consumes a salty food. They are going to want more and more. That Hashem tells us that if we desire to learn Torah, and we work hard to learn Torah, and we begin to fill ourselves up with Torah, Hashem is going to in turn give us more and more. That the more that we yearn to know more and to gain more, the more we are going to be able to consume. That if we are satisfied with a basic level, that we take in just a little bit of Torah and we say, okay, now we've fulfilled it. We know, we know some Torah. We have learned some Torah. We will not be able to gain nearly as much as if we crave and desire to grow more and more. If we engage in this process of gaining Torah, we don't see it as a, we see it as a means in and of itself rather than a means to an end. To tie it back to our story, the Nitziv in Ha'imek Davart asks, why is it so important that we now don't eat the Gethanasha until today? This is one of the first mitzvot that we are given in the Torah. Why is it so important? Yes, we feel badly that Yaakov was hurt. But is that really a reason to not eat the Gid Hanasha until today? We're commemorating an injury that one of our avot got? Rather, the Nitziv says, What is this Gid Hanasha? This is the sciatic nerve. It is right atop the hip socket. The hip socket is what moves when a human being is walking. It is what controls movement. And the Nitziv says that the reason Yaakov was harmed in his Gidhanasha was to call attention to the movement of a human being. That the Malach recognized and said, I am going to name you based on Ki Sarita Imalokim. And when I realize that I am losing against you, it's because of this point, of this Gidhanasha of this point of movement, that I recognize that you are a human being that is always moving. Like Zachariah said, you are among the mehalchim. You are always walking. And until today, we do not eat the Gid Hanasha because we want to call attention to this same part of the human being, the, the part of the human being that is connected to our movement. Because when it was the enemy recognizing what our strength was, where they wanted to harm us, it was in this fact that we are always moving. So therefore, until today, we do not want to forget how crucial it is to our existence that what has carried us on thus far has been our ability and our constant desire to continue moving. Lastly, later on in this Parsha, we have 
the conversation between Yaakov and Esau that actually occurs when they encounter each other. And it is an interesting conversation. We're in Barashas Paraklam and Gimel, Vayomer Nas'av and Alcha, Ve'alchad Lenegdecha. Esau, after they've had this beautiful reunion, Esau says to Yaakov, my brother, now let us continue on together. Let us travel together. And I can very much relate to this statement by Yaakov, even though I have many less people that travel with me. But he says, Vayomer Elav Adoni. He says, Esav, we travel pretty slowly. Between the children and the cattle and the sheep and the... We just move very slowly. You travel by yourself. You go to Seir. Me and my family, we're going to travel nice and slowly at our usual pace. And when we arrive at Seir, we'll arrive at Seir. We'll meet you there. It doesn't make sense for us to travel together. You go on your own. We will go on our own. And we will meet you there. Esav. Esav says, He says, how about I give you some people to help you? Yaakov says, no, that is too kind of you. Don't worry about it. We, we're good. And Esav goes off on his own way. And while this paragraph is very relatable, many who have traveled with a large group recognize that you move quite slowly. The Torah is not here to be relatable and cool. We don't need to think of, oh, wow, Yaakov Avinu really got it. He understood what it meant to be a parent, that you move slowly and things don't happen quickly. That would not be a reason for the Torah to record this conversation. Why is the Torah recording this seemingly so basic conversation, this conversation about technicalities of who's going to travel with who? And I would like to suggest that there is a much deeper conversation happening here than one about logistics. They have just had this reunion after so many years. And Esau is looking at the situation and he says, oh, okay, we have come back together. All is better. All is great. Let's move on. Let us travel together. What he is really saying is, Yaakov, we now recognize that we're going to the same place. We're on the same path here, Yaakov. We're on the same mission. Let's go together. Let's just travel together to Seir. And Yaakov is responding and he is saying, Esav, we have come back together. We have reunited. We have made peace. We might have the same destination. We may both be going to Seir. But Esav, we have different paths to get there. Esav, you're one that believes that the important part of the mission is arriving at the destination. Your goal is arriving in Seir. Yaakov says, we, we take it slowly, us and B'nai Yisrael. We appreciate the journey for the inherent value within the journey. It is not about arriving at Seir. It is about what happens along the way. It is about bringing the children along, about bringing the animals along, making sure that everyone is engaged in this journey. I don't need your help. I don't need someone to come from your camp to help us rush through this process. 
because these are our distinct approaches to life. Your emphasis is getting to the goal. Mine is living within the journey. So this episode is recorded in order to show us that this distinction between Yaakov and Esau has never and will never go away. That this Mida that we can gain from Yaakov, that he passes down to us. We are B'nai Yisrael. We are the children of the one who struggled with God. Is that we are meant to take this struggle. We are meant to realize that it is not about arriving at the destination. It is about living in the journey, growing in the journey, and being able to reach our greatest potential only because of the journey that we took. Lastly, I want to end off with a famous letter by Rav Hutner that I have quoted in other contexts. A student of Rav Hutner contacted him that he was struggling, and Rav Hutner responded with one of his most well-known statements. We're going to, it's a long letter, but, and I have put it in the source sheet, but I want to skip down a few lines. Rav Hutner says, Lose battles, but win wars. It is said seven times a man falls, a tzaddik falls, and he gets up. And those that are not as intelligent think, Someone who is misunderstanding this statement thinks, that it is even though a person has fallen seven times, he is still able to stand up. The wise ones know, the way that one becomes a tzaddik is because of his seven nefilo, of the seven times that he fell. That it is not despite the seven times he fell, but rather it is only because of the seven times he fell. Hashem saw everything that he had created, and behold, it was very good. Tov zayitzer, tov, one good, one word tov is about the yitzer hatov, Me'od, when it says tov me'od, zayitzer hara. That Hashem looked at the world and he says, everything that I was created that good is good, and the yitzer hara makes it tov me'od. That the fact that we have these struggles within our life are what allow us to become the best possible versions of ourselves. That a tzaddik is not a tzaddik despite the challenges he has faced. Rather, a tzaddik is only a tzaddik because of the challenges he has faced. That one falls down, it is not about brushing it aside and standing back up. Rather, it is about embracing the challenge that you have faced and growing and becoming better from it. So our role model for this week is Yaakov Avinu, that he was the one who is visarita im ha'elokim v'ha'anashim v'atuchal. The v'atuchal was the cherry on top, the fact that he was successful. But what is emphasized, what is passed down to us, is visarita im elokim, this quality of being able to embrace the struggle, to recognize the inherent value in the journey that we are on, and recognizing that we can only become as great as we can be because of the journey we take and the challenges that we face. So, Mirza Hashem, may we be able this week 
to learn from Yaakov and take this quality of embracing the struggle, recognize the challenges in our lives, and only grow from them.